Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mystical Motherhood Podcast. This is Pritam Atma, author of Fertile and Mystical Motherhood. I have an amazing guest today. Lisa Hendrickson-Jack is a fertility awareness educator and holistic reproductive health practitioner. She is also the author of The Fifth Vital Sign. She debunks the myth that regular ovulation is the on, is only important when you want children. And she teaches women around the world how to actually properly map or document their cycle and how to find out how your own menstrual cycle is related to your health. This is really, really powerful information for all women. And I think we've lost our own power with um, all the medications we're taking or birth control and our own connection to our own intuition through birth control methods. So we're going to speak about natural fertility, how to, how to map your cycle, how it affects your health and your overall power as a woman. It's a really, really amazing um, conversation. And she's also, Lisa also has her own podcast called Fertility Friday, which I am also a guest on. So she's an amazing woman and I hope you enjoy this. Please reach out to her at fertilityfriday.com. And if you need anything from me, always reach out at any point at mysticalmotherhood.com. If you need to email me, email mysticalmotherhood at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, Please share it on social media, tell your friends, leave a rating, leave a review. It really, really helps. I hope you enjoy, and I'll see you again next week. I'm so excited to have you here, and I want to hear, I want to know, like, how did you get into this? Where, because there's a path we all find when we're uh, beginning on our, almost like, I call it the awakening of what we can do, and it's not, we're no longer in fate, and we begin to move towards destiny, and to describe what destiny is, it's sort of like you're the, rather than being the ball on the court, like the soccer (laughs) ball, you become the player, right? Yes. And so when did you become the player in your life? And how did that happen? And when did you know? Because it clicked for me. And when did it click? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, for me, it started when I was, when I was, I call it my post-high school feminist phase. So I had just graduated high school. I was 17 years old went into my first year of university, I had been on the pill for pain. So from my very first period, it was painful. And so I didn't really, and it was also heavy and I was involved in sports and all that good stuff. So um, at the time I didn't know what else to do. So I went to the doctor hoping he'd put me on the pill and I had to say three words and he was already writing the prescription. So that had kind of worked out in that sense. Uh, But Um, throughout that time that I was on the pill, I wasn't using it for birth control. And so I would come off of it every now and then. So in my experience, I had these really painful, heavy periods. And then I went on the pill and all of a sudden my periods were like light and manageable. So I was like, sweet, it fixed me. And then I would come off of the pill thinking I was fixed. And then like, it would be just as bad. So (laughs) that experience led me to understand that the pill was masking it. And um, even though I didn't have the words at, you know, 16, 17, I did have that sense. So fast forward to my first year of university, I actually needed birth control, but because I had never used the pill for birth control, didn't take it at the same time every day, I had this sense of like, if I'm 
avoiding pregnancy and I'm on the pill, I'm always going to be nervous. If I miss a, a day or something like that, I, I, I knew that my personality would always be nervous. So I thought to myself, okay, I'll just use condoms to avoid pregnancy. And then I was like, well, if I'm using condoms all the time, I don't need the pill. And I also had these latent concerns about my cycle. I had the sense of like, they shouldn't be that painful. I don't know how to fix it, but I don't think being on this thing is going to help that. Um, And a little background, I saw some women in my family experience fibroids, difficulty conceiving. And so I just had the sense of, I don't really know how to fix this yet, but I don't want to be on this pill forever. So that all happened. And right around that time when I was making these kind of bigger decisions about my fertility, I discovered fertility awareness. So, uh, you know, I went to a talk, my university had uh, a women's center and they had all these great sex positive, all kinds of stuff going on. And there was a speaker who, um, she was talking about a bunch of different things, but one of the things she mentioned was that she had discovered that there was only a short, a small window of fertility each cycle and you could track your cervical fluid, your cervical position and your temperature to figure out how that was and avoid pregnancy naturally. And that was kind of like, like (laughs) this amazing moment because uh, then I discovered that in addition to using condoms, I could actually learn how my cycle works and I could be confident avoiding pregnancy with a combination of that. So that in a nutshell, is what started me on my journey. And I was quite young at the time. And I, you know, ran out, bought Taking Charge of Your Fertility, started tracking my cycles. And on my university campus was a group of women, some of whom were trained educators, some of whom were learning like I was. And they held monthly meetings all about charting. And so I started attending those meetings. And very shortly after, I took a training class and started teaching women fertility awareness. And so there's so many different pieces of that experience and how it led me to do what I do now. When I first discovered fertility awareness, of course, I was this young feminist and it was this incredible weight off my shoulders not to be afraid of my fertility. So not to be afraid that I could get pregnant all the time, but to finally understand how my cycle worked. And for me, it just started as birth control. And my cycles were not normal. Uh, They were really long. Uh, I still had the pain and I was just managing that with painkillers. And um, one of the women who I uh, was, who was mentoring me, she looked at my charts and she was, you know, and and at the time I was kind of like, oh, it's okay. My cycles don't have to be 28 days long. That's a myth. My cycles would be like 38, 45 days. And she looked at it and she's like, Lisa, your cycles are too long. Your temperatures are too low. I think that you should go and get your thyroid checked. (laughs) And I was like, like mind blown. And how many days were your cycles then? Um, Anywhere on average from say 38 days to to 40, like on average. So So you didn't have PCOS. So she just said, go get your thyroid checked. Or did you also have PCOS? Well, so to this day, I don't have an answer, but I do believe now in retrospect that um, I, you know, I am certainly on... Like PCOS, from the way I look at it, the way I understand it, is a metabolic condition. And when you have it, it predisposes you to diabetes. So I certainly have diabetes in my family. And I believe that I'm sensitive to that. So um, at the time when I was younger um, and and when this happened, she didn't put that out there. And I think part of the reason was because my cycles were always, even though they were long, they were always regular. So it wasn't that they were long and irregular. They were just long, consistently long. 
but I was always ovulating. It wasn't that I wasn't ovulating. Um, so what happened was I was diagnosed with thyroid issue. Um, and it did take some time before my cycles uh, kind of settled down. But once that thyroid issue was sorted, even though they were still a little on the long side, the cycles did get down to more like 35 days. But they were still on the longer side. So to your point, um, I do believe that I have a sensitivity. And if I, if I wanted to give myself PCOS, I could certainly change my diet and <laughs> live in a certain way. But you know, currently today, my cycles are within that normal range. But for me, that experience of having somebody look at my chart and tell me something completely unrelated to fertility or birth control about my health, that really was what, um, in that moment, that was a really powerful moment for me because that's when I truly understood that your cycle is more than just fertility. It's more than just about having babies. It's more than just birth control using fertility awareness that it actually is a mirror for your health. And so um, what truly led me to become more public and to write the book and to start the podcast and to really start um, reaching out and sharing this message with women was when I had my first son. And it was around that time. I mean, by then I had been charting for about 10 years, uh, give or take. And uh, I had fully taken for granted this amazing knowledge. And you know, when I first started doing this, it was on a very small scale. You know, I was working with women in my local community and that was it. And I looked around, I see all these women struggling to conceive. And what I know for sure is that to this day, the vast majority of women still don't know how their cycles work. Not even the basics of, you know, how to identify the fertile window and when to, tr to time sex when you're trying and all of those basic things. Or even that there's an alternative to hormonal birth control that's effective if you just, you know, don't want to take hormones, but you still want to avoid pregnancy. And so that kind of time around having my first son, and I kind of really looked at the world a little bit differently, was when I really started going outward with my message. Awesome. Um, so when you tell, when you work with women now, tell me, so you have them track using an app. And if anybody's listening, what app can they use to track? What do you like? And what are some really, really common things you see with women's cycles that are, you know, like maybe three things that you see repeated that you can do like quick fixes for, like not even, there's nothing quick about it, but you know what I'm saying? Like something you see all the time. Like I see PCOS all the time, super common. And, and, you know, and, and how do women, like, that's one you can even talk about. Well, what do we do? Yeah. Uh, well, so the way that I work with clients, I'm teaching a specific method. So I'm teaching them um, a version of the symptothermal method with, because so, so that everybody knows there's more than one way to track your cycle. There are multiple different fertility awareness-based methods. And the main fertile signs that are used with fertility awareness are cervical fluid, basal body temperature, and cervical position. And so with the method that I teach, it's a combination of that with the cervical position being uh, optional. So for me, um, I was, you know, trained, I'm a certified justice method um, instructor. So when I'm working with clients one-on-one, -on -one, you know, I encourage them to either use the Justice charting app or the, um, I, I created a charting workbook. So to my surprise, even in 2020, there are many women who like to chart on paper. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, a surprising number of my clients actually chart on paper in terms of, um, but however, with that said, the Justice charting app isn't the most user-friendly app, to be honest with you. And if you're not using that specific method, that, the 
kind of the website can be a little bit tricky. So, I mean, I don't have a specific app recommendation, but what I do recommend is that if you're charting your cycle with an app, that you choose an app that allows you to turn off the prediction settings. So for a woman who actually wants to learn fertility awareness and start charting, so I mean, if you're if you're just tracking your period and stuff, you know, there's hundreds of apps, you know, just choose one you like. But if you really want to, to learn fertility awareness and to start understanding your cycle, what I find is that if you have an app that's predicting like this is when you're supposed to ovulate and this is when you're supposed to have your period, if what happens in your body is different than what the app is telling you, then it can cause a lot of confusion. And so I find that with a lot of uh, women that I work with, it's best if you're truly learning to give yourself an opportunity to do that. Um, so I know Kandara was a favorite. A lot of women use Clue. Like I just, like I said, I don't really recommend a specific one, but I do suggest seeing if you can turn off that prediction. Because it's just another thing that controls you to say, oh, I think I'm going to ovulate now. And it's, you have to go inside to really know. Well, so for example, um, and it works both ways, whether you're trying to avoid or trying to conceive. So a lot of women are using these apps and they're trying to conceive. So the apps are programmed with algorithms and they're basically, if you don't have a lot of information, then they're just going to gear you towards day 14 ovulation, day 28 full cycle kind of thing, because that's that's the um, average. And uh, also, if, if you do have a few charts that it's starting to learn from, it's an algorithm, it's programmed, we don't really know how it does that. And Basically, it's a modern-day version of the rhythm method. So the rhythm method is, and what one of my uh, one of the things I always talk about with my clients is that my job, in many ways, is to encourage my clients to move away from rhythm method thinking to start understanding their cycles. So the rhythm method is a, 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 a it is actually a method, not highly effective method of birth control, and it's based on a calendar rhythm calculation. So it's based on the idea that really all you have to do is chart a couple cycles, understand when you ovulate, and then like predict it forever. <laughs> and the thing about it is that as women, any woman, any woman who charts her cycles is going to quickly see that you know, she doesn't just have the same cycle over and over again. Our cycles are affected by stress. Um, you mentioned PCOS, so dietary factors, certain underlying conditions or sensitivities. There's a lot of different things that can affect our cycle. And even for women with very regular, consistent cycles, every woman will still experience, a, you know, a, a cycle where she ovulates earlier than normal or later. So uh, the difference between then the rhythm method and say the fertility awareness method that I'm teaching women to use for birth control is that instead of kind of thinking about, okay, so I usually ovulate on day 12, so I'm going to look for day 12. Uh, really what you're going to do is ob observe. So for instance, if you're checking for cervical fluid, you're going to check for it every day and you're going to base your actions and your understanding on what you actually see with the understanding that your ovulation is not always going to be the same. Your cycle is mm -hmm. not always going to be the same length. So it's like a different mindset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, and then your question about uh, like some common conditions or common things that, that we see, uh, I would say, I mean, it's easy to, uh, so with PCOS, for example, you know, we can talk about how to observe it on the cycle. So um, how it most commonly shows up when you're charting your cycles or when you're paying attention to your cycles are long and irregular cycles. So what's characteristic of PCOS is having cycles that are over 38 or 35 days long, um, and or experiencing cycles that vary more than eight days from cycle to cycle. So for example, having a 29-day you know, cycle and then a 37-day cycle 
and then a you know, 20 something day cycle and then a you know, 42 day cycle. So having this wide variation uh, and also uh, for women who have, let's say less than eight or nine cycles in a year. And so PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, as I mentioned before, um, you know, many people are talking about it as a metabolic condition because even the title makes it seem like it's this issue with ovulation. Uh, PCOS is characterized by inflammation, insulin resistance, glucose intolerance, and women who have it, as I mentioned, are twice as likely to develop diabetes in their lifetime. So it's, it's almost like, a, um, and, and, and that's one of the, the challenges with PCOS because we're often taught about it in a way that is only related to our fertility. But what's happening is that ovulation is being disrupted by this underlying metabolic problem mm-hmm. <laughs> that is actually a, a kind of a bigger conversation to have with respect to your overall health. And so, you know, in many cases, if we can understand it as a metabolic issue, as an issue of inland resistance, glucose intolerance, there are dietary approaches that can be very effective for some women or a combination of dietary approaches plus certain things that sensitize your body to insulin or um, help to support and regulate the cycle. And it is actually possible to regulate the cycle meaning, with, and not with uh, hormonal birth control pills, but it's actually possible if you address the underlying health issue for the cycle then to fall in line. Um, so uh, that's something that's uh, really common, but uh, it's not always that simple. So depending on what's happening, she may also have you know, other conditions. Thyroid conditions are one of the most common issues with uh, menstrual cycle or one of the most common issues that are related to or that cause menstrual cycle related issues. Mm-hmm. So um, it's helpful to, to know that. Um, I mean, the reason that I called my book, The Fifth Vital Sign, is to really start to get at that idea that the menstrual cycle is not just about having babies, that the menstrual cycle is a reflection of your overall health. Okay. So when you're generally healthy, you don't have any underlying conditions, you would expect your menstrual cycle to actually be pretty consistent, to fall within the normal parameters. Um, it doesn't mean it couldn't be affected by stress or situational things, but overall to be pretty healthy. And when you're seeing um, cycles that are totally outside of that norm, you know, always over 35 days, really irregular, you know, that variation more than eight days, or if the cycles completely stop, so uh, HA, hypothalamic amenorrhea, where yeah. you stop ovulating and stop having a period is also very common. It's and very it's really common. Very common. More common than people even expect. And yeah. a lot of times people think it's normal. And that's related to overexercise, undernutrition, and stress. Right. And so in both of those cases, you know, we tend to think of, oh, well, it only matters if she's trying to have a baby. And often doctors will th- say things like, well, let's just put you on the pill, regulate your cycle, And then when you want to have a baby come back and we'll give you some drugs to make you ovulate, instead of looking at it that, wait a minute, you know, if the cycle is stopped or if it's disturbed, it's actually a sign that there's a health-related issue that we need to be looking at. Um, We don't really look at things like that in our culture or look at things that way. Mm. So when you have this woman coming to you that has, you know, these are PCOS and... um, Amenorrhea are two really good examples. These are totally different kind of women, really, in some ways. And there's like a personality traits to that. So how do you tell a woman that she's not getting her cycle? Because I have this all the time. You need to gain weight. 
I mean, it, and then how do, I mean, with PCOS, how do you tenderly tell someone to, you know, eat better? I mean, and I, and with PCOS, just at my clinic at, at the, you know, in reproductive medicine, not, they would, you know, 50% are overweight and 50% are not. There's not a certain look to it. There's not a certain, you know, some people, there's some people are very thin and their, their cycles you know, they're irregular. But if there's supplements that somebody could take for PCOS, we know that diet is reduced. I mean, you know, not a lot of carbs, not a lot of sugar. I always say that basics going back to fruit and vegetables. But what else do you say about supplements? And how do you get someone to actually eat if they're not really wanting to or they're overworking, you know, working out too much? Um, well, when women are coming to me, it's typically, I mean, it's for a variety of reasons. So some of the women coming to me are trying to conceive. And when a woman is trying to conceive, she has a particular motivation to address her menstrual cycle and try to make it as healthy as possible. Um, other women are trying to avoid pregnancy. And it is possible to use fertility awareness if your cycles are irregular, um, certainly. It, of course, does pose a few different challenges. So when I'm working with women, they are... Um, Women come to me for, for those types of reasons. And so for that reason, they're typically quite motivated. And so, you know, the first thing I try to do is educate. Uh, I talk about PCOS in my book and I cite tons of resources so, um, so that they have more knowledge. I think the first step is, is to understand your cycles, understand how they work, understand that there's such a thing as a normal cycle. So really briefly, a normal cycle tends to fall somewhere between 24 to 35 days in length. You would expect to have your period that would be anywhere from three to three to five, uh, three to seven days in length with an average of about four to five days in length. So you'd expect to have a period. And I always say it should have a beginning, a middle and an end, and then it should stop. So bleeding throughout the cycle, all kinds of abnormal bleeding, it is outside of the normal. Uh, you would expect to ovulate in a healthy cycle and before ovulation, you expect to have, um, say, two to, two to five days of cervical fluid leading up to that. So, you know, understanding that there's a such thing as normal and then having women actually chart. So when I'm working with a woman, I'm teaching her to chart. And uh, we chart in a very specific way that allows us to establish a baseline of what her cycle is like. And then we're able to compare that to... Um, you know, what's an optimal cycle. So a big part of what I do kind of in the first step is education, because once you have that understanding, so you understand what a healthy cycle is supposed to look like, you, you're charting your cycle in a specific way. So you can actually see if your cycle falls into those abnormal ranges. Mm -hmm. um, and then if we see that you have some of those signs of PCOS, uh, it's helpful to actually get a diagnosis if that's what it is. And I've certainly worked with women who have, as you mentioned, lean PCOS. And I've, I've worked with women who are textbook. They have the hyperandrogen type symptoms, whether that's the, the acne or the... Um, the, the, the hair growth and uh, hirsutism in different areas. Yeah. Uh, they have the cycle that's totally regular, like consistently totally regular. And because they're not overweight, you know, sometimes they even go to their doctors and the doctors say, you can't have PCOS, you know, you're, you're too thin. So um, having that defined, having it pointed out, having a diagnosis, um, that's, those are all helpful motivators. Uh, and then knowing, understanding PCOS, so understanding that, you know, most women with PCOS are deficient in vitamin D and magnesium, um, having that brought to the attention when you do the test, it confirms it in a woman with kind of classic PCOS, talking about the role of insulin resistance and glucose intolerance and discussing maintaining that macronutrient balance because you have to eat enough food, but maybe uh, looking at reducing the simple high glycemic 
uh, carbohydrates, um, making sure you're getting enough fat. That's huge because a lot of we have fat phobic culture as well as enough protein and talking about um, balancing blood sugar from a blood sugar perspective and things like that. So, you know, um, to your point and to your question, the, the most important step that I've found with my clients is that education piece so that they have a sense of that. And the benefit that, that I have, and I think what makes my work um, a bit unique in that sense, is that, you know, the cycle is the center. So every time I'm meeting with somebody, we're pulling up their, their chart. And if you actually are able to address the, the issues that are causing your cycle to be out of the normal range, then you're not going to fix, you know, all of the cycle irregularities in one cycle. But when you hit that point, when you are on the right track, um, my clients will often see that shift cycle to cycle. So they'll start to see those changes, like actually see them for themselves. And that there's nothing motivating like knowing that you've made changes in your diet, you've addressed certain nutrient deficiencies, you've, you know, done these things, and then you actually start to see the evidence, the physical evidence on your chart. And so that is the way that I work with. As I'm thinking about this, I remember reading in one of Medical Medium's book, Anthony William, he wrote, you know, we've been on birth control for so long that we actually, I don't know if you've read his books, but he said, we have women because we shut down, we've been on birth control for like 10, 15 years plus, right? We shut down our energy centers our, we shut down our intuitive connection to that center. Then we get off birth control and we tell our bodies, okay, now it's time to get pregnant. But we had told our bodies for so long, no, 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 no. And so we've forgotten to give energy to that area. And so it's almost like what you put your attention on, you know, like energy follows where attention goes. There's like a saying to that or, you know, so it's like if a woman's looking at her cycle and paying attention and giving loving energy to that area of her body, it's almost like it could self heal just with that attention because she's going to be more intricate with her details of her life and her body. Correct. Is that what you see? Well, I certainly see that as a part of it, but as someone who's been in this field, you know, for a while, when a, when a woman has a legitimate issue, it's, it's, it's more than the loving attention. So if you know what I mean, like the loving attention um, and what you said is spot on uh, because we live in a, a culture that does suppress the feminine. Hormonal birth control suppresses the ovaries and we're told these lies that it's like your body thinks it's pregnant. <laughs> um, but what it's really like is that it shuts down ovarian function. So it's actually like a chemical menopause. And so if you've ever been curious as to why you've got 20-year-olds using um, lube because they have vaginal dryness, I mean, from that context, it actually makes sense. And um, from that energetic perspective, I mean, our ovaries and this creative energy, this, uh, this energy that allows us to create life, it's not only sexual and it's not only life-giving, it's also creative energy in so many different areas. And so, you know, what are the consequences from an energetic perspective of shutting that down? And how does that affect our ability to connect with our intuition? And so, to, like, it, what you said is, is so important because one of the unexpected, I guess you could say, benefits that my clients just consistently experience over and over again is that, you know, they come for birth control, they come to, you know, optimize their fertility for conception, but the process of charting and looking at their cycle and paying attention to what's happening at that part of their body and the process of 
making positive changes for themselves and actually seeing that it makes a difference in their cycles, that process welcomes them back to their intuition. Um, What happens is you start to trust your body again. You start to have the belief that your body is capable of healing. Um, For many women, this isn't the message that they've received. I speak to so many women who have been told that the only way they're going to conceive is through drugs and drugs. And through the work that we do, they start ovulating normally or, or whatever the case is. And so all of a sudden they have a completely different relationship with their body and they start to believe in their body again, instead of thinking that their body's broken. So um, absolutely. But I wouldn't want to minimize the very real medical kind of challenges that many women face um, because there are times when it, it, you certainly do have to look at certain supplements in addition to certain dietary changes and really get at that root problem, whatever it is, before we see that menstrual cycle shift. And just one thing to mention for the women who are listening, because I know you have asked a question about PCOS, so it's not to simplify it. There's a lot of different um, supplements that have been studied um, from N-acetylcysteine to, you know, there's a lot of different supplements that have been associated with sensitizing insulin. But I think one of the areas that I often see as is, is missing from women with PCOS is the potential for iodine deficiency and how that could inhibit normal ovarian function. And so that's something where I, you know, as much as I can try to encourage my clients to get tested because that's one of the nutrients that we don't even look at. Two, one, two things. I have two, another question, but before we jump into this next question, I wanted to say anyone who's listening, what she said earlier about getting diagnosed, like if you're having these issues, um, if you can't get diagnosed, a lot of OBG, so I work in reproductive medicine and the doctors in reproductive medicine are really good with PCOS. And so if you're having issues and you're going to a list or you're, you don't have a good practitioner or your OBGYN is just not diagnosing it wrong and you are confused, um, you can go to a reproductive um, specialist, you know, at a fertility center, they often see people for reproductive medicine, not just for fertility. And they can help you with your cycle to understand it, but don't let them just put you on birth control, have the, you know, if, I mean, you can do whatever you want to, but the underlying issues are really to be healed, you know, and there's help out there. But so back to intuition and the, and the menstrual cycle. So I was just talking to someone the other day about, how women, I was told, I don't remember if I ever read this or I was told that when women were on their cycle, they weren't allowed at the table with men to make decisions in the olden days because they were so intuitive. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that? Like this red tent thing, if they would, I think, I don't know, I'd never read the book, The Red Tent, but I think the idea is that women were separated from everyone. And I honestly think it's because their power came out and their intuition came out. Is this true? What do you think? Well, I do know that there are still certain um religious traditions. I mean, it's always a touchy subject because everybody has a very personal experience with their spiritual practice or religious uh, traditions. But um, there are many holy books that talk about menstruation in such a way that um, will use words like women are ritually unclean during that time. And there's certain um, holy spaces or activities that women who are menstruating are are not allowed to participate in, um, sometimes because of that idea that she is unclean and could spread that uncleanliness. But again, you know, it's a touchy subject because everybody then there's, maybe there's the good book and then everybody interprets that in a different way. And so, but there is certainly a cultural, historical tradition um, that can be found in many different 
religious uh, texts and practices that certainly restrict women's movements. And I've, I've also heard of, you know, that portrayed in a positive light in the sense of, I have read the book, The Red Tent, and it's this amazing story of um, these women who, you know, really have this amazing time privately uh, away from the men and the, you know, everything else when they're bleeding. And it's this kind of empowering, amazing experience for women. But the question is, is it really like that? I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm intuitive all the time. I think there's times in my, like, there's times that I need to pull away, but then maybe that's like my, me knowing to rest. But one thing I actually wanted to ask another thing about the cycle as we're talking about this is what do we do when we get really tired? You know, there's moments when we're like super tired and we start bleeding. I don't always get that, but there's some months that I am. What do we do? Is that just my moodiness? Is that, it's not all the time. What do we do about PMS symptoms? And I didn't think I had them, but then my sister says I do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I think it it all depends on how you look at it. We obviously live in a culture that tends to look at those things kind of in a negative light and say that it's a negative thing. And so one concept that is really powerful that I shared in my book and that's been shared um, just in a lot of different ways by a lot of different women in this uh, area is the concept of the seasons of the menstrual cycle. So looking at the menstrual cycle uh, as we would look at a year. And so, you know, when you start your cycle, the first day of your cycle is the first day of your period. And so that phase, the menstrual phase can be looked at as winter. And then as you approach ovulation, that phase can be looked at as spring. Um, Things are starting to grow. Energy is starting to rise. When you ovulate, you know, that stage of your cycle can be looked at as summer. And then as you approach your period again, that stage can be looked at as autumn, fall. And so what's interesting, I mean, of course, not every woman experiences her cycle in the same way. Uh, But generally speaking, many women feel as their period is ending and as they're approaching ovulation, kind of a new sense of energy. And many women will talk about that phase as they're approaching ovulation and the ovulation phase itself as a phase of creativity, energy, wanting to be more um, outward and, um, you know, feeling more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, extroverted and just wanting to kind of be out there in the world more. And so, and then that correlates from a hormonal perspective to the time in your cycle when you're creating the most estrogen and, you know, your skin is glowing. And so, I mean, there are women that do have issues with histamines. And so the estrogen causes them to not feel so great at that time. But generally speaking, there's that energetic difference around that time. And uh, so then after ovulation is when, from a hormonal standpoint, you start, you, you have a surge of progesterone. So it's a a different time, a different experience. Progesterone shuts down your cervical fluid production. It stops further ovulation for the cycle. So you do enter into another stage. So whereas the first stage was all about, you know, the egg developing and this creative process that's going to start, the second stage is kind of not about that anymore. And so as, you know, you approach that stage, that stage post-ovulation is when women who are experiencing PMS symptoms, that that is typically the stage when that happens. And uh, for women who, I think that it's helpful to kind of talk about the difference between PMS and it being problematic and kind of more clinical and needing to do something about it versus a natural 
waning of some of that energy and a natural stage where we would feel a bit more introverted and uh, potentially just wanting a little bit more solitude and not necessarily wanting to be out there in the world because there is an energetic shift that happens for any woman who's cycling and that isn't a problem. <laughs> that is just part of the natural cycle of the menstrual cycle. And how do we uh, honor that more? So like, for example, I love to go on a run or I love to work out. And then I know when my cycle is going to come, I just know I can't do as well that day. So that male energy in me is like, oh, I should be working out. There's, you know, all of us have this like ridiculous things we do to ourselves. And, <laughs> and then I've learned to be like, no, you don't want to, this is not a good day. You just started your cycle. You're going to, it's not worth your time right? How do we honor that dichotomy that's within us of the feminine and the male that we almost fight within our cycles? Well, I think the first step, like I say about a lot of things, is understanding that um, there is a cycle. I think for a lot of women hearing the analogy of the seasons is like, oh my goodness, that makes so much sense because this is how I felt, but I just, you know, I just thought there was something wrong with me. So I think the first thing is to acknowledge that it is a very real thing that we do go through energetic shifts throughout our cycle. And if you can acknowledge that it's a real thing and that it's just a part of the process, I think that makes it easier for us to step into that a little bit more and make those choices and changes and adjustments to honor that. So, you know, your question, how do we honor it? Well, we, we honor it. <laughs> so we start to tune into our intuition and we stop fighting it. We try to ex- like kind of work with it. And it doesn't mean that you have to do or don't have to do anything. We're all going to make choices. So, for example, I talk about this in the Fifth Vital Sign. I use this example of um, there are women who run marathons on their period. And I think that that's wonderful. If you want to run a marathon on your period, I mean, that's amazing. But I don't think I, I can do it. But I am not, <laughs> I am not going to run a marathon on my period because I don't want to. And I think that's okay. So I think part of it is it's not to judge other people and tell everyone what they should do. But the first step to honoring it is to turn inwards. So this is why charting is so, can be so helpful. So, you know, if, if I was working with a client who was asking me this question of, you know, how do I, how do I honor this more? The first thing I would do is I would, you know, pull up the chart and say, okay, so as you go through your next cycle, I want you just to pay attention to how you're feeling at different stages. And I want you to just make a couple of notes, like how are you feeling as you approach ovulation? How are you feeling around ovulation? How are you feeling as you approach your period? And then particularly the five days before your period, for anyone with you know, moderate to severe PMS symptoms, that period of time tends to be when you're experiencing them quite a bit more. Um, and that often is hormonally, hormonally related and all of those types of things, but you know, make a note of it. And then the following cycle, make a note of it again and start to pay attention to see if there's a pattern. So, you know, this is where charting is so helpful for that because you can, forces you to pay, put your attention there, as you were saying. And so once you start to see that, if you do start to see that there's a pattern, a lot of, so imagine, I love that poem, Gloria Steinem, that's like, if men could menstruate, if men could menstruate, (laughs) then they would like hack menstruation. There would be Everything would be around menstruation. Like they would organize their lives around they it. They would, would totally hack menstruation. That's yeah. so true. <laughs> they would. They would be like, yeah. you know what? Let's all menstruate at the same time. Let's coordinate yeah. it. Let's let's get a medication going so we can all just shut down society. <laughs> and if they were doing certain 
um, physical exercises. So, you know, I work with a lot of really amazing, interesting women, some of whom might, let's say if they weight lift, they may actually, you know, write down to see if there's a part of their cycle where they can lift more. And so, you know, for example, uh, you know, the energetic phase, the summer, the ovulation phase, a lot of women might feel more energetic. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not making generalizations. You would have to test this out for yourself to see if there's a, a point where maybe if you're a runner, if you can do a faster run at a certain time of your cycle, you know, that would be something that I would encourage you to figure out. But let's just say, for example, that around ovulation, you happened to be able to lift more or to, to run faster. You know, if, if men could menstruate, <laughs> they would organize things around that. So we can do the same thing. You know, we can hack our cycles in that way. The first step is to understand what it is for you. So it's not about me telling you how you feel. It's about you tuning in and figuring out how your energy levels and all those types of things change throughout your cycle. And then once you have a handle on that and it's, you're fascinated and it's amazing and you have it like you've written it down, it's on paper, then you can start making certain choices. If you're going to have a party for somebody, if you're throwing a party for your you know, kid or your partner or whatever, you can choose not to throw it <laughs> uh, when you believe it's going to be around the first day of your period. Like you can choose to do things and uh, obviously life is going to happen. It's not always going to be perfect, but you can start to shift in that direction. You can, you know, create a lighter schedule for yourself on the days before your period if you, if you like to be by yourself. And if you like to be by yourself or if you need some downtime around that time, do it. You know, if a friend invites you over, just say you don't want to and don't feel bad about it. Just allow yourself to tune into that and lean into it more than you have in the past. So when you've been working with people and you've, this is like small miracles that you're talking about, what about big miracles? Like, have you ever had, you know, when I, like sometimes when I'm working with clients, what, which is more energy work or spiritual work then they call and they're like, we wouldn't believe who called, or you wouldn't believe like my, I healed this relationship or I did this. Like, what are the big miracles you've seen happen in someone's, a couple of examples by someone charting their menstrual cycle and really healing this? What have you seen that you've been like, wow, this is great job. Um, well, I mean, it, it kind of stands the spectrum. So for right. some women, they conceive after years of not conceiving. That's amazing, yeah. And sometimes it's, it is. Um, and sometimes it's related to timing. Um, some, but, you know, sometimes it's related to just a, a combination of things. But I would certainly say that I've seen that and that. And for, for some women, what I've seen is that years of not having regular cycles, when they figure out what it is that's contributing it, their cycles normalize. So from a very basic standpoint that I've seen, but beyond those very practical, wonderful things, uh, what always strikes me as just really fascinating is for a lot of women that I've worked with, um, we always talk and hear about stress, you know, life is stressful, reduce your stress. And it, it, it often feels very out there, because you can't really, it's not as tangible as we would like it to be stress, this concept. And so uh, for many of the women who I've worked with, when you start to chart, you start to see how stress is actually affecting your life. And so um, you may see a specific thing that happens, like you have this boss or you have this deadline that week, and you see that maybe that interferes with ovulation or changes um, shortens the, the, the period of time before your period comes or whatever the case is. Uh, but for some women, they start to see that, you know, their cycles don't look normal. They have the, um, I've had a number of clients with what I call kind of like a stress pattern where 
uh, they've got low mucus production, they've got a short luteal phase, they've just got this, it's just not optimal. And it really looks like something is kind of dampering their health. And we go through and look at all the things. Could it be this? Could it be this? No, nope, you don't have an endocrine disorder. No, nope, you don't have PCOS. No, nope, you don't. And eventually they start to actually physically see for themselves, wow, my life is really stressful. I have this two hour commute. I hate my job. <laughs> and mm. I never thought that it was affecting me. But now that I'm charting, I can physically see that how this is affecting me. And so one of the miracles, uh, you know, slash big changes that I've seen is charting leading women to making huge changes in their life, you know, getting yeah. out of that relationship, uh, you know, quitting that job, starting a new career, you know, those types of things where you didn't think that when you, you know, came to me for birth control, <laughs> that you would end up like quitting your job and starting a new career because you were so deeply impacted and, and connected to how this, you know, how, how, uh, incongruent your life was to what you was really in your heart. So this is the power of connecting to your intuition. And I would say that is the biggest thing that I've seen that can, you know, that changes women's lives essentially by tuning to their cycles. I love that. Like that's what I do with a lot of these women. It's more like looking at their patterns. Like we're unaware, like that's what awakening is. It's like becoming a more conscious of patterns within our lives in different areas. And then being like, I want, it's like, we don't even, it's like either we're walking around like zombies, completely numb to just the obvious to everyone else who sees it. You know, and then when we see it, it's like, oh my gosh, I can make that simple change in that relationship, or I shouldn't be in that, or I should, it's just amazing. Yeah. Well, and this is why, you know, so many uh, people who are in this kind of world of charting, it's like, this is life changing. It changed my life. And it kind of sounds like, oh yeah, Uh, it kind of sounds kind of like, how could something this simple as just tracking your mucus, you know, change it? And, but it's not, it's just not that simple. It's the process of, tuning in to your cycle and seeing that your cycle reflects your, like it, for a lot of women, it's really powerful to see that like, wow, that week where my, you know, my, even if it's a happy stressor, you know, my, my sister got married and whatever. And like, like, wow, my ovulation was like super delayed. And I thought I was going to ovulate on this day, but it moved this day. And you start to see like, there's a physical manifestation of your life that plays out in your cycle. Oh, it happened to me this month and it scared me actually. Because I have very regular cycles. I bleed about three days. I used to bleed five, but three now after having babies for some reason, that's fine. It's lighter. That kind of worries me, but I think it's fine. But then this after COVID, after like the shock our systems went through, I mean, I bled seven days early. I bled for seven days. I never had a cycle like that. Not one time in my whole life. And it was like scanty to a little bit darker to scanty again. And then I got really worried. And I'm assuming that was just the stress of like our whole world got shut down. And my body was like, whoa, (laughs) am I wrong or am I right? Well, I mean, it sounds like it. So from the perspective of how stress can impact the cycle, um, depending on where you are in your cycle and depending on what's happening overall, I think a lot of women are experiencing some changes right now. Um, and some aren't. That's the other thing too. Because sometimes when I talk about stress, my clients will be like, okay, well, I have a trip coming up and they're kind of waiting for their cycle to shift. And sometimes it doesn't. Um, but in a situation like what's happening now, uh, Stress can affect the cycle, again, by interfering with ovulation. So for some women who, you know, tend to ovulate around the same time, they might find that 
it happens later, or they may find that they have cervical fluid if they're paying attention to it, and they think they've ovulated, but then they see cervical fluid again, meaning that the ovulation was delayed. Um, And potentially in your case, so one of the ways that stress impacts the cycle particularly if you experience a good degree of stress post-ovulation. So the period of time between ovulation and your next period is the most consistent part of the cycle. So if you have a cycle that's like, you know, 25 days, let's say, and then you have a cycle that's like 42 days, typically the difference is that you ovulated a lot later. So that's the first half of the cycle is the most variable. Um, But when there's a lot of stress, what can happen is... um, And it's related to hormones in many ways, because I mentioned after ovulation, you produce all this progesterone. And that progesterone is what maintains that uterine lining for about two weeks. So the second half of the cycle in a healthy cycle is about 12 to 14 days long. And so if you experience stress, stress raises cortisol. And it's interesting because we make cortisol from progesterone. (laughs) So there's this very literal relationship between stress and the luteal phase, like the second half of the cycle. Wow. So what can happen is that if you experience a lot of stress, it can actually cause your period to come sooner. It can cause um, you to start spotting earlier. So um, some women will experience like a couple of days of spotting before their period. And so in your case, it may be that you... um, you know, you typically have a three-day period. It, so I'm just, you know, this is neither here nor there because I did not look at your chart. So this is just theorizing. But uh, certainly it's possible that the stress could have caused some spotting to happen, you know, um, that wouldn't normally happen. Mm. And that could have, obviously, then you bleed for more days. Right. Um, and if, again, if you're paying attention to it, you might notice, oh, okay, it's spotting or not or whatever. And that can help to explain what, you know, why the additional days of bleeding. Right. Um, but definitely this situation could do that. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was like, and I got tired. I was like more, you know, it was just like the, all the energy of like what I had been going through in my body came out through the cycle. And then I feel more healed now. It was like, I had to go through that. It's almost like it, you can self heal, self regulate your emotions through the bleeding. It's really not, I, I'm only thinking of it as we're speaking of it. I didn't even cross my mind now until I'm like, Oh wow. Like, I went through a period of like just letting a lot go and then I self-regulated it again, emotionally too. Well, and something interesting as well. So, you know, over the years, so I've charted my own cycles for about 20 years <laughs> um, or so, you know, uh, and what's interesting and through that time, I've gone through a lot, as I mentioned, my cycles were longer before and I went through, I had painful periods. And since then um, my cycles are, you know, different. So I've kind of gone through the gamut of things. But one of the things that I find to be really helpful um, when you chart as well is, especially if your cycles are typically regular and you do, um, and pretty consistent, and you do notice that you have a cycle that's off (laughs) and you have like a shorter cycle or a longer cycle or a harder period or something like that. For me, I'm at the point now where I look at those events and it's kind of like a reminder because we're all human beings. And, uh, you know, there's always times when you, you know, up the carbohydrate, (laughs) simple sugar consumption or you your sleep routine goes out the window for a bit or you do go through something really stressful and for me I find that paying attention to the cycle is always a nice reminder if I ever have a cycle that's out of the ordinary and I look back on it and I say well yeah you know I wasn't really sleeping that well that's a good reminder for me okay it's time to do some more self-care let's do some more of those Epsom salt baths you know relax let's take more time to do the meditation 
if you start a new exercise routine, I know we had touched on like HA and how it's really common. So a lot of women will find that, you know, you, you start a new exercise routine and you go hard, like you five, six days a week and you don't adjust your food. <laughs> and then all of a sudden your, your cycle's messed up and you're getting all this bleeding before your period and that kind of thing. So again, it's like a feedback tool and you can use that information to help you to stay on track with those practices that you know are going to be important for your health, your physical health, your emotional, spiritual, all of those types of things. Nice. And so where you said you have your own tracking system, can you tell us about that and how we can find your work and, and where and how you do private sessions and like what, tell us about that. Um, well, thank you for that. Um, so, I mean, the all the information and things that we were talking about today from PMS to PCOS to cycle tracking, um, I talk about those things extensively in my book, The Fifth Vital Sign, and you can get the first chapter for free at thefifthvitalsignbook.com. And uh, I did create a charting workbook because, like I said, you know, I because I've been doing this for so long, I actually just didn't think that women would still want to chart on paper. <laughs> when I first started, um, kind of around like the turn of like it was between like 2000, you know, I I printed off my Excel spreadsheets and made a little booklet. And but now that there were all these apps, I really didn't think that people would still want to do this on paper, uh, but they do. And so I made um, my fertility awareness mastery charting workbook for women who are really excited about having, you know, a physical place to chart. So all that information is on the fifth vital sign book.com. Nice. This is wonderful. Anything you want to um, say before we go or feel good? Like anything that we should know by the end that you wanted to say that I might've missed it's important or you feel um, like, we, I feel like we covered a lot. We did. I think all I would say is that, um, for especially for women who haven't really heard of fertility awareness before, I would just want to say that, you know, it, it is real. It does work. There's science behind it. It is an effective way to prevent pregnancy. The efficacy is right up there with hormonal birth control, 99.4% effective when you learn to use it correctly. So I would just say that, you know, if this is something that resonates with you, then certainly keep going. Learn more about it. Uh, you can do it. If anything, if it's something that you're thinking about, um, you listen to this podcast for a reason. I don't believe in coincidences. So uh, just know that you can do it if it's something that you want to do. And if it resonates with you, it's, that's happening for a reason. So certainly continue to learn more about it and see if it's something that you want to jump into. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa, for coming. Thank you for having me. You're